Sober Company, a podcast about modern sobriety. My name is Lacey. My name is Nick. And today we are super excited to welcome author Sarah Levy. She is a journalist who has widely published the New York Times, Refinery29, Playboy, The Cut. She's everywhere. Uh, she writes a lot about her own personal experience getting sober and you know, obviously there's a lot of content there. And I've been, I know I've been following her for at least a year, if not more. And Nick and I are both big fans of her work. So here's Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Sober Company. We're so excited to have you. Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yes. So you are currently, you're living in New York City, right? I am. Yes. I live in Brooklyn. Awesome. And, And Nick normally does, but he's, he's home in South Carolina right now, uh, and I'm I stayed put in the Bronx, so we're all we're all over the map. Social distancing, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I always like now with the days, now with the craziness of our lives, I always like to say what day it is. And today is April second, Thursday, April second. And mm-hmm. so, how have you been doing with everything that's going on? I know you just wrote this amazing article for Refinery Twenty Nine about your experience as someone in recovery and who's sober with uh, social distancing and isolating and everything that's, uh, that's happening? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a really crazy few weeks. <laughs> um, I don't think anyone could have predicted what it would feel like to be in this situation. And it's scary. You know, there's a lot of panic and anxiety I am definitely trying to take things one day at a time, which Mm -hmm. is something that, you know, we are kind of always trying to do in sobriety. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, I think feel like now more than ever, the whole world is kind of being forced to take things one day at a time. Uh, It's funny. I was talking to a friend recently about how it feels like the whole world is kind of counting days right now, um, which is something that I did in early sobriety, you know, and I remember those like long excruciating, like, okay, day seven, day nine. And, you know, nothing, nothing was harder than those first 90 days. Mm -hmm. And it, it really does feel like we're in a similar place right now of just like, trying to get through one, one day. Um, so all things considered, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm in Brooklyn with my boyfriend, Adam, we are quarantined here and, you know, it's, we're okay. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's been scary. I miss my family, um, and just kind of miss, miss like normal life, um, for sure. But yeah. Yeah. And so what are some of your, are there any kind of key points in your routine or things that you've discovered have been helpful for you to kind of stay grounded? Yeah, I would say that, you know, getting, trying to just get outside um, every day has been crucial for my mental health and overall well-being. Obviously, like staying at least six feet away from everyone, but getting outside, getting some fresh air, taking a walk, definitely staying connected. I think, you know, for better or for worse, I am more attached to my phone than ever right now, but I'm just kind of going with it because it's become, you know, a lifeline. I'm trying to stay in close contact with obviously my parents and my brother, but also, you know, other sober friends. I'm just trying to stay really like honest and accountable about how we're, you know, how I'm feeling and how everyone is doing. And I've really been trying to 
get some kind of movement in. So doing a lot of streaming workout videos, yoga, just to, just to kind of get some endorphins. Those are the things I'm trying to do every day. Definitely not doing it very imperfectly, not doing anything perfect right now, but kind of trying to stay grounded in those three things every day. That's good. Have you yeah. been, you've been, I think I saw in your story that you, you've been checking out online meetings, recovery meetings. Yeah. So I've been super grateful for Zoom, like the rest yeah. of the world right now. Um, there are so many online uh, recovery meetings that are available and I've been trying to do at least one a day, mostly women's meetings. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's been this weird trend in the past few days. I don't know if you guys read about the Zoom bombing that's going on. Um, but I saw people are yeah. It's so unfortunate um, and, like, the last thing we need on top of everything else, but people are trolling some recovery meetings. Meetings in general, I think, like, lots of different Zoom right. have been getting hacked, but recovery meetings have unfortunately been getting hacked as well. So I did have a f- couple unfortunate experiences really? with Zoom bombings, but, yeah, which was just a bummer. But uh, the recovery community is, you know, always very quick to rally. And uh-huh. so um, with, we've been like able to get some passwords in place and, and those online meetings are still happening, thankfully, because they are so helpful. Totally. Totally. I also like to see where people live. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, you have a nice bedroom. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah. show me your art. What's on the wall? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so definitely doing a lot of that and then I don't know just like watching tv kind of trying to just be easy on myself like the first few days I was definitely like okay this is a perfect opportunity to be super productive and right. little have a little like self-imposed writer's retreat and like it's just not like we're not meant to <laughs> thrive in a global pandemic I think we're just all doing our best so yeah just like enjoying the time to kind of cook meals, watch TV, get a little more sleep. I don't know, just trying to, to do what, you know, what we can do. Totally. Yeah. I think that's like a really interesting point you, you bring up about people trying to be productive, but then it's Mm -hmm. like, there's this fear and uncertainty that's around everyone. And I was talking with a friend today about like, this is a time that globally everyone is going through the same thing. And there's Mm -hmm. like, lots of different like shared emotions that people are going through. I was just kind of curious about from an emotional state, what's been coming up for you? Mm. What hasn't been coming up for me is a better question. (laughs) I've been feeling so many things. I've definitely been feeling fear, you know, just fear about what is this all going to look like in another week, right? Like everything's already changed so much in the last few days. Like what, you know, what's next? Just fear of the unknown, um, fear about, you know, all the people that I love, like wanting them to just stay safe and stay healthy. Definitely a lot of anxiety, just, you know, all of my usual distractions and social mechanisms are, have been taken away from me, you know, like being able to go out and get coffee with a friend and kind of like get outside of myself in that way or uh, going and writing from a co-working space where I'm not just like alone in my apartment with myself or, you know, even just going to a a workout class, all of that stuff is gone. And so I, you know, what's left is just me, right. It's like all the, all the external stuff has been stripped away. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there is a good amount of anxiety, I think, and just sort of like 
okay, like what if I'm not, what if I can't do it, right? Whatever it is, like write the next thing or um, just sort of self-motivate. It's like I'm alone now without all the distractions. It's like, what if I'm not enough, you know? Um, Definitely like that's a big one that comes up. And I think the way that all those feelings end up like coming out of me is not much less like eloquent than the way I just said it. It's like just hysterically crying, which I've been doing a lot of. But honestly, like big tip, crying is okay like (laughs) crying like any day right now it's just like a relief I've been I've been just kind of doing a lot of like letting myself cry when I feel overwhelmed and then also like in some moments that like a feeling that I feel is okay you know like I'm like okay in this moment I don't feel um horrible and and trying to make space for that too right Mm -hmm. like accepting that it all will continue to come in waves and I'm allowed to take a good moment if it happens. I'm allowed to have like a good afternoon where the sky was blue and it was nice in the park and, you know, just like those little moments of joy I'm trying to like make space for also. Yeah. And just like practically not even sober related necessarily, but how do you make space? I'm single and I live by myself. So I've have a whole mm-hmm. apartment. So I have a dog and I have a whole apartment to ourselves. So how do you kind of make space with your boyfriend in an apartment in New York city? It's a great question. It definitely takes communication. Sometimes it's just like, I need to go into the other room right now and like be by myself and shut the door and like watch something by myself, you know? Yeah. Um, and just like literally like saying that out loud, we've both done a lot of that in the last, you know, couple of weeks. You know, I think it's just such a strange situation we're not meant to spend this much time with anyone like even the person you love most in the world like like you get up and go to work and like then you see them at the end of the day like I've never spent this much time even with like my mom you know like I would always go to school and so it's a very unique time and I think just trying to be like patient with both like how we're both feeling and then just communicating like I need some time alone like going for walks like just not doing everything together like going for walks by ourselves using that time to like have a phone call that like, maybe I don't want to have with him in the other room. Like maybe I want to call my mom and be like, Oh my God, I'm going crazy. You know? Right. And like, that's yeah. okay. So I definitely would say just like communicating and, you know, we're lucky we live in a one bedroom. Like we have a door that we can close and, and kind of like take that physical space. And then also like using that time efficiently. Like if I go in the other room and shut the door and scroll on Instagram for an hour, like maybe I'll feel a little better, but I probably won't feel as good as if I have like gone in the room and, you know, like, meditated or called a friend or journaled or like done something to kind of nourish me because I also need to be like showing up right now as the best partner that I can be. Um, and I can only do that if I like take time for myself, you know, in a way that, that actually will help kind of like fill me back up again. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Do you like, um, were you work working from, do you work from home as a writer? Like, is that your normal routine or do you normally like go out? I try not to write from home uh, in like normal days, pre-quarantine. Pre-quarantine, my ideal day would be working from the wing. I've been a member there for a couple of years and it's a, if you're not familiar, women's co-working space. Yeah. yeah, And it's like a really nice place to go. A lot of creatives work from there and, um, you know, people in different industries. And so I would usually go and write from there or like from a coffee shop. But I really like to get out of, like get out of bed, get dressed leave the apartment, have, you know, commute somewhere, feel like I have a normal 
working schedule to kind of get me ready for a productive day. It's much harder to stay motivated when you like roll out of bed and grab your computer and start working, at least for me. Yeah, I can see that. Oh yeah, I feel the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, it's just hard to, like when I, I was so much better at getting my healthy routine done before because I had to go to work. So I had to meditate and journal and exercise and stuff in a set amount of time. So I'd get up at six in the morning to be able to get all that done before I went to work. And now it's a lot harder for me because time is just endless and, mm-hmm. you know, and I just like, I, I think going into an office forced me to be like, well, I am going to take all this time for myself in the morning so that it just doesn't become someone else's day immediately. Like my body isn't owned by somebody else, like right from the start, you know, I, I take mm-hmm. hours to like allow that day to be mine. And now it's not all mine, but a lot of it is. So it's, it's just, it's, it's been a, it's been a project for me to get it all back in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the tip that I have seen kind of again and again in the last few weeks around working from home is just create a schedule that you would follow even if you were in the office. And so I do try to stick to normal working hours and, um, you know, if I'm going to work out, I do it in the morning or, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and then I try to be on my computer from like nine or 10 to five or six mm-hmm. and take like some time for lunch in there. That's just what works for me. I, I know a lot of people who work for themselves who love that they can do a Pilates class in the middle of the day. And um, that that's great too. But I think finding a schedule that does work for you and that lets you do the other things you need to do, like journal and meditate, while also not feeling like you're just like, oh my God, it's 3.30. Like, what am, where am I and what am I doing? And like, what's the point of anything? Yeah, yeah. Sarah, I know, so you're you're living right now with your boyfriends. And I, as a single person, and I know I will speak for Nick as a single person too, <laughs> you guys connected after you were sober, right? We did. Yes. We met, we were introduced when I had been sober for almost a year and a half. Okay. Perfect timing. (laughs) Perfect timing. Yeah. So it's, you know, suggested that you don't date in your first year, really suggested you don't do make like any big changes in your first year sober. And I didn't fully listen to that suggestion. I definitely continued to date. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which was, you know, Definitely didn't go well, but learned a lot. Um, (laughs) And uh, we can talk about that. But um, yeah, I met Adam when I'd been sober for for almost a year and a half. And I was definitely in a better place and, you know, ready, like more ready for a relationship at that point. Yeah, I feel like, and I definitely both do that. We both did this where we dated throughout our first year. And I, and I, when I talk to people now who are first getting sober, I, I completely agree with the whole taking a year thing. I don't think it's maybe not realistic, but you have to learn those lessons mm-hmm. yourself. I think it's, it's, and I've heard this expression before when someone's not fully baked or even, you know, three quarters baked or whatever, mm-hmm. you're not done. And I think that year of sobriety, you gain, you grow so exponentially that you're not the same person at the beginning that you are at the end. So mm-hmm. if you start dating someone in the middle of it, you're going to be growing at such a rate that you're going to be a different person. And so therefore maybe not, you know, even if you love that person, you'll be different by the time you're done. Oh yeah, totally. Did by any chance, did either of you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I didn't, but I was considering now watching it like the whole thing. 
Frog. Oh yeah. Well, we have all the time in the world, so I would, I would recommend it. But um, I, I used to watch it, you know, in like middle school. And there's a line where Buffy talks about how she's not ready for a relationship, and she's like, "I'm cookie dough. Like I'm not, right. I'm not a cookie yet." And yep. I remember like just having that line kind of like come back to me in sobriety when someone said, you know, what you just did about like not being fully baked yet, mm-hmm. and it's just so true, you know. I think like the same can be said when you're a teenager, right? And it's like why you shouldn't maybe get married that young or or whatever, um, which I think was how it was like meant to be in the show. But for me, it was like, you know, getting sober at 28, I was basically had the emotional maturity when it came to relationships of a 21 or 22 year old, which Mm -hmm. was like the age I was when I started drinking more and more. And I, you know, think back to like the guys I liked before I got sober, even like in my first few months sober, like the people I was interested in. And it's just like, I laugh now because they were so not like a good fit for me, either not, you know, emotionally available or um, just like not aware of my existence, you know, like varying degrees of unavailable. And I just wasn't ready. I, I, I wasn't ready. And when I met Adam, I definitely was, I had done a lot of work on myself in sobriety and it had just made so much of a difference. And so we come across this all the time. And I think there's also a growth within that year that happens and, you know, the varying degrees of how you tell somebody you're sober. And mm-hmm. at this point, I'm going to be four years sober in June. And at this point, I'm like very open and like, fuck you about it, basically. <laughs> Like not, mm-hmm. not, def- not defensive, more like if you don't, can't get with this, that's your, like for real, it's your problem. I used to say that, but now I really mean it. Mm-hmm. At what, when you met Adam, how did you talk about your sobriety? Yeah. So I had experienced that shift that you're describing as well, like a few months before Adam and I met. Um, and it kind of came about through my writing. I had this sort of pushed mm-hmm. to come out publicly about being sober through this exciting writing opportunity that I had gotten to, to talk about it in my work. And so the two happened like simultaneously and I was like, okay, I guess I'm just talking about this now. And I think because I was so proud to be writing and, you know, which was a lifelong dream of mine, it made it easier to um, also talk about being sober. Like it was very vulnerable, but less so because I was also attached to this like publication that I had always admired, you know? Mm. And so it it made it a little bit easier, I think for me. But then after that initial sort of like coming out, I did still have to like tell new people that I met. Right. And Adam was, was one of them. And he actually, you know, we were introduced and mutual friend who introduced us told him that I didn't drink. And so she did a little bit of the work for me, but he definitely still had, you know, questions like, okay, well, have you never drank? Like there is like a a certain person who's just like, oh, I was never interested in it. And so I never drank, right? Or did you drink a lot and that's why you stopped? Like what, you know, what was your experience? And um, so he asked me pretty early on and we connected just like we had a really nice, easy connection. And so he was very easy to talk to. And, and, you know, I was honest with him from the beginning of like what my drinking had looked like. I, you know, was a blackout drinker from basically my first time drinking and, you know, always thought my drinking was normal because I went out with people who drank like I did and, you know, didn't drink during the day, didn't drink in the morning. But like when I went out, I often like did things I regretted and and just felt really bad the next day, pretty much every time. That was like my story of my drinking. And yeah, I mean, once, once he kind of 
heard my story, then he, he just like understood and accepted that I, it was much better for me to be sober, but I definitely wasn't that honest or open with other guys. And, you know, before Adam, when I dated, I was sometimes just like evasive and didn't want to get into it. Other times I would pretend that I was drinking, um, in like very early sobriety. I was just so embarrassed. So it, there was an evolution for sure in my own confidence and like comfort level around it. And then how I talked to guys about it on dates. So how did publishing your writing fit in with that timeline? Did that change the way that you spoke to people about your sobriety pre and post that period? Definitely. So pre-writing about it, so my first article that I published about sobriety was for The Cut. It was about dating sober and how the experience felt a lot like being an awkward teenager. And so pre that article, I told very few people in my life that I was sober. I published that article almost, it actually even came out on my one year sober anniversary, oh, that's which is so crazy. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. it was really, really cool. And so I, you know, submitted it like a month before that. So I was about 11 months sober at the time. So before that, you know, my best friends knew that I had stopped drinking. My parents knew and that was pretty much it. Like I'd hit it from coworkers. I hit it from guys I dated. When I went on dates, it became become apparent, you know, at a certain point in the night. And I would use a bunch of different excuses, which I still kind of encourage women to use in early sobriety because if you're not comfortable talking about it, it is nobody's business and that's fine. And so in the beginning, I would say things like, oh, like, it's just, I don't sleep well like, after I drink or like it gives me stomach aches or it makes me anxious, like, you know, whatever. And I would just sort of say like, I'm taking a break for right now. And then I got the idea for the article and, you know, I definitely did not think that pitching it, writing it, publishing it would then kind of have the effect on my life that it did, which was, I got a such a good response. People started reaching out. I started writing more articles about it and speaking, you know, speaking openly about my sobriety. I didn't think any of that would happen. I just thought it might be cool to to write about this particular story. So then when it came out, it sort of sort of like overnight went from six people in my life knowing that I didn't drink to everyone in my life knowing. And that was because I was, like I said, really, really proud and excited to share the article. And so I posted it on my Instagram. I posted it on Facebook, you know, and was just sort of like, okay, let's like, let's see what people say, you know. Now is as good a time um, as ever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it was so interesting, the people who reached out, the people who didn't, the people who I thought, you know, people who I was really close to who didn't say anything. Um, The people I hadn't heard from in years who messaged me saying like, oh my God, you took the words out of my mouth. Like I've been feeling the same way. And then, you know, messages from just young women who I had never met that were really powerful. Great. Yeah, that that was that was how it kind of came out. That's amazing. I'm curious when you talk about like, I really resonate with your story because I was also a blackout drinker and did like mm-hmm. amazingly stupid things all the time. And there was like a lot yeah. of shame wrapped up yeah. in that. And for you to come from that position in like a year to this position you're talking about that, sharing it out loud and being proud. Like, what was that evolution for you? And like, what do you think? Why did you come to that point? Yeah. I mean, oh my God, I had so much shame also. And, you know, I think for me, the shame was the loudest and the strongest when I was alone, you know, like the morning Mm -hmm. after going out drinking, 
I would just lie in my bed and feel so ashamed. And I had mm-hmm. no one to talk to about it and no place to put it. And it would get louder and louder. And then even in sobriety, it was still kind of like for the first, you know, 10, 11 months, it was me and like a close community of people that I trusted. But like, I hadn't really made a ton of sober friends yet. I was very like resistant. I was like, I know I need to stop drinking, but like, other than that, I think I'm fine. Exactly the way that my life is. And when I wrote the article and then started hearing from other women, it was sort of like the floodgates opened for me where I was just like, oh, I'm not alone in this. You know, it was weird. It was like, they were writing to me to say, you made me feel less alone. And I was like, your email is making me feel less alone. That is so cool. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, and I think and so the shame just lifted, and from there I was like, oh, you know, like I, I, I want to, and then you know, I think being in a relationship, like the next piece I wrote was about like falling in love with that alcohol, and then I did another one, just sort of like why I stopped drinking and like what it was like, and that was just more um, like a general, a general article that I did for a women's site called Cup of Joe, which has a really loyal group of readers. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, and so their, the response there was, was really strong. And I think every time I told a different story and was met with responses, primarily from, from young people, male and female, just felt a little bit of that shame, like chip away, you know, and, and it got a little bit easier to just like kind of stand in my truth and talk about it. Yeah. And I think that's, I was going to say, that's why, that's kind of what Nick and I have experienced sharing our stories publicly is mm-hmm. when you own your truth, as you said, when you stand in it instead of kind of stand behind it or whatever, hide from it, it really allows you to hold it up and be proud of it as opposed to be fearful of it, you know? And I think when you don't name it, mm-hmm. it becomes your whole existence in a way, you know? It's why naming emotions is important. It's why having conversations with friends is important. All those smaller things are so important, but when it's something like a huge thing, it can, that, that silence can just fill your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I still have like a problem. I mean, it's, it's an, it's an evolution for me, but it's just so inspiring hearing stories like yours because you're right. When you're in a good place, then you, it sounds like you're just helping a lot of people right now just by telling your story. Yeah. I think also I remember, you know, someone telling me once, if you're owning something embarrassing that happens to you, it makes it harder for other people to laugh at you for it. And, you know, like, I always kind of think about that now. Like, I felt so ashamed and so embarrassed to be sober and even just to be a blackout drinker before. Like, I was like, this is not cute. Like, I don't like this, but I just continue to happen. And I think when I started owning it, writing about it, talking about it, being like, this is what it was like. And like, this is how I feel now. And I feel better now. I felt like, even though it was kind of all in my head and I don't think anyone was ever laughing at me or thinking it was so lame, just sort of like flipping the narrative for myself kind of made those like invisible inner critics a little less loud in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's one of those, you know, there's like a million expressions we live by, especially in the sober community. But one of the things mm-hmm. I love is the thing that's in the way becomes the way. So mm-hmm. your, you know, exper- experience of shame and and depending on something to try and make you feel better and it's the thing that brings you down, right? That whole experience was in your way of like what you wanted to become 
And then you took it and you wrote stories about it and connected with other people and it's become your path, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. I think it's also, you know, the way that I connected with men was, and just like dating, yeah. you know, like potential partners was so alcohol dependent. I just felt like the only time that I could flirt with guys or connect with them was when I was drunk. And it became, you know, that ultimately did just get in my way, the way that you're saying, like I didn't form, I could never form real connections with anyone. And so like, as that, as that shame lifted, around being sober, like, so did that fear that I couldn't connect with, with people and in sobriety. And it's just been like, it's been the exact opposite. Like the friendships that I have now, obviously in my relationship, you know, they, they're all just stronger and clearer without all that stuff in the way. Sarah, do you think there's been like a shift in the culture that you sense totally. around yeah. sobriety? Yeah. I do. I talk about this a lot, you know, I got sober at 28, but I started to think that maybe I wanted to stop drinking when I was younger, like 24, 25. Um, and I would like every now and then do a little Google search and for like sober dating or like, what is it like to be sober? And there was nothing out there like what there is today, you know, and that was, this was like in 2013 or whatever. And I think since then, it's just incredible to think of how sobriety has become just part of our like lexicon you know mm-hmm. we talk about it as a wellness trend there's this like whole sober curious movement people you know there's more mocktail sections on drink menus than <laughs> I've ever seen before like I... I used to go to a restaurant and order a seltzer and feel like the waiter was looking at me like I had two heads and <laughs> now there's like a whole like there's a whole mocktail section and they're, they're like oh great choice you know and I'm yeah. like thanks like so I do I think that you know the conversation is shifting and I think that what it means to be sober and, and just a lot of the, the, like the old connotation that sobriety had is lifting. And I just proud to be, you know, a young person. I mean, I'm 30, I'm not that young, but like a relatively young young. person (laughs) advocating and like speaking out about what being sober looks like and what a sober being in a relationship as a sober person looks like, because I couldn't find that person. I couldn't find that woman when I was like 23 and thinking maybe I wanted to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I hear from young girls who are like fresh out of college saying, you know, your article really helped me or like seeing, you know, that you're sober and can still have fun, like that really helped me. That just means everything to me because I know how, how much I searched for that myself when I was younger. Totally. I, I think about that all the time, basically helping the younger person of my, cause I was mm-hmm. told, you know, that I would probably become dependent on addicted to alcohol. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, my family has it so much that I mm-hmm. was warned and it just wasn't even an option. <laughs> like, of course I'm stubborn. And I wanted to try it out and I wanted to learn, of course, of course. But I also think it was just a non-starter. You were so fucking lame if you didn't drink or do drugs mm-hmm. and, you know, and I, and now, like, and you remember Dare? Like, forget it. <laughs> like, I, it was like the worst thing possible. And I, I just want more of us to kind of, you know, talk about it for those people, for those exact reasons to be like, no, this is, it's not your entire life. It doesn't have to, you can still go out and have a great time and act wild and do whatever. You don't have to depend on something outside of yourself to have that energy and to have that fun. Yeah, 100%. And I also think that sometimes 
the only way out is through, yeah. you know? And yeah, yeah. so it's like, sometimes like they're gonna just drink anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's okay. I know for me, like I would never have trusted anyone that told me being sober is better and it's just as fun until I was, I came to the conclusion on my own. Yeah. But I would have loved when I came to that conclusion to have someone to go to, to be like, okay, now here's what it's going to be like, you know? And so I think that like young people will continue to experiment and drink, but I feel like just knowing that sober people also exist and, you know, that sober people can still travel and have fun and date and fall in love and all those things. I think it's good to just have the two coexist side by side Mm -hmm. instead of just like one image of what like fun looks like. Absolutely. So Sarah, what is next for you? So I have been writing a book for, um, yeah, for, for the last few months, which has been so such a dream come true. And, you know, it's about a lot of the things that we're talking about here, um, different topics related to sobriety. And um, it's a book of essays, sort of not just about, there's so many books out there that are about like addiction. And, and then like the recovery part is like the last few pages. And this is not a drinking book. This is about mm-hmm. being sober and like what that life looks like. Um, and my experiences, you know, dating, falling in love, like sober sex, conflict, like communicating um, with different friendships, work, ambition, just like what life looks like when it opens up without alcohol. That's what I'm working on. Keep an eye out for that. And then, um, yeah, just continuing to work with different publications and write articles about, you know, relationships and sobriety. That's awesome. All right. We've kept you. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah, this you. was great. I really enjoyed it. Stay safe and stay you healthy. Too. You yeah, too. Time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. That's it for this week. You can find Sarah at sarahllevy.com. That's S-A-R-H-L-L-E-V-Y.com. And you can find us at sober.company. That's our new website where you can sign up for a newsletter and send us emails and just love on us. Wait, you can get a dot .company domain? Yeah, isn't that weird? It's Instead not, of, like, it's not a dot .com? Nope, it's dot .company. Company is... Sober in, dot .company? That's it, our new website? How come I didn't know about this? <laughs> no, I didn't know about it. I'm just kidding. All right, our, we're on social media at, at Sober Co. Podcast. And our music, as always, is by John Tessier, courtesy of Set So Sound. We know they're staying safe. And staying indoors, I mean, except for your healthy walks. (laughs) Uh, That's it. See you next week. June bug. Uh, Sorry. June. Okay. Is it seven? Yeah. Everybody's clapping for the um, healthcare workers, which is awesome. And this is June's form of clapping along. Wait, that at seven o'clock every day, everyone claps. Yeah, and rings bells and everything. Damn. Mm -hmm. You can start it where you want. Has that not made its way to you yet? No, not in South Carolina. But yeah, I do miss like New York and that sense of community. You know, even though like everyone is isolated, it's like hearing things like that going on is like really nice to hear about. It is nice. And and this is my all like just personal opinion, but I feel like maybe it's being sober and being in these sorts of communities and seeing the power of that. But Mm -hmm. um, it's something really special that I miss.